Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Copper and Blue. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson. Joining me are my co-hosts, Jonah Hickmore and Corey Travers. And it has been quite a strange uh, week of hockey for the Edmonton Oilers. They had a, a four-game road trip. Uh, well, they have a five-game road trip, but they played four of the games last week. They opened it up in Detroit, where they lost to the Red Wings 4-2. to two. They then went to Boston and played a very good game against a good Boston Bruins team. They won that one 5-3. to three. They headed to Buffalo, lost it three to two, and then they took on one of the best teams in the Western Conference in St. Louis and uh, had a late game winner in the last minute of the game to win it five and four. So the Oilers go two and two so far on the road trip. They have the Jets in Winnipeg tomorrow, or if you're listening to it on uh, Tuesday, it's today, tonight at 6 p.m. And uh, wow, I, I, I'm honestly confused at what type of team we will see tonight. The Oilers had a probably beat the two best teams on this road trip and lost to the two worst ones. So it's been kind of a weird week for the Oilers, hasn't it? That's hockey. (laughs) They are definitely, uh, like you were saying, Preston, Jacqueline Hyde team right now. Um, I will say uh, I'm really glad to see that they're able to hang with some of those really good teams like Boston and St. Louis because one of the things we'd had a lot of concern about is them playing weaker teams. Though I would like to say, um, who told Anaheim they could be good? Yeah, that's weird. Like, I, I just so want to ask. Harry show over there. I, I just want to ask, because it seems super suspect. I was told that Anaheim should be down there, you know, in the basement this year, not reeling off like seven straight wins or whatever they're on. So I just want to know who told them that they could be good. Um, is this the same person who told Calgary they could be good? Is honestly the not the California team I thought would be taking the step forward. I thought that'd be LA. If you look at LA, they have so many young, um, great forwards up and coming there, starting to make an impact. But no, you're you're right. Anaheim has come up and gotten some unexpected performances. I think Hampus Lindholm is playing very well there on the back end, and then Troy Terry has found another level to his game. He's absolutely breaking out there. So it's strange to look at the standings here in in November 2021 and see the Oilers in first place and not have Vegas Calgary in that second spot, but Anaheim. So yeah, very, very strange week indeed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Oilers, just like you drew it up basically, right. Beat the the two good teams. Uh, I think they were, they were favored in both losses and they were underdogs in both wins. So that's. I would like to point out that you both drew up four and O records and that even <laughs> I was too optimistic because I drew up a three and one record, yeah. but that we did talk about the Oilers inability to play their best game against a bad team. I really yeah. wish they didn't know how to do that. Yeah, no. I, I would like to point out. I just I say they're going to go undefeated every every time uh, Preston asks. <laughs> so it's it's really more of a commitment to a bit at this point. I, yeah, I, I know, know it is. Yeah, we, can't yeah, yeah. Our, we can't let that that bit die. You know. Yeah, you People and Preston have negative. the same bit. People say which we're too negative. Have, and and my bit is not being your bit. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's um, a good bit. I would actually advise that. Yeah, it's a smart bit. <laughs> like, even if I do think they're going to go four and zero, my bit is now. They can't. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah, Very hard to go for now. In all, in all honesty, I mean, it's it's weird that they got the two wins that they got, but I mean, it's the NHL. They're still it's still tough to beat the, the worst teams, and you see good teams lose to bad teams all the time. Yeah, uh, obviously, sure. it's disappointing when it's the Oilers, but you know, you look across the league standings, and I think last week when we were recording, uh, Detroit was beating 
uh, Vegas and they ended up winning that game. And I mentioned that on the podcast and then they go ahead and, and beat the Oilers uh, on Monday or Tuesday night or whatever night that was. But yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's uh, one of the things that I think contributed to those losses is Edmonton's ability. And we talked about this extensively in the last podcast was Edmonton's ability to defend at five on five has not been great despite their, their really good record in, you know, you, people will argue it, but you look at those, even the win against um, St. Louis, I think the team defended pretty poorly and um, was bailed out by Miko Koskinen playing out of his mind. And um, I think even Jack Michaels said on Twitter that, um, you know, the underlying statistics for um, Koskinen during that game weren't great. He had a sub 900 save percentage, but I think uh, another outlet said that St. Louis had probably, oh, what was it like? 16 grade A chances on net, which is the most a team has had all year. So Miko Koskinen really bailed out um, a pretty poor defensive effort by the Oilers. And Leon Dreisaitl, he's Leon Dreisaitl. He did, he did exactly what he does every night and uh, got the Oilers the win late in the game with a beautiful pass to Kyler Yamamoto. So I think down the stretch here, there has to be a change, right? There has to be a change to this team's defensive group. I, it's, it's unacceptable for a team of this caliber to play this poorly defensively five on five. Well, you would think, um, but again, the the potential for this defensive group to play this poorly was written in the stars from before we started the season. I remember looking at one projection that projected the overall competency of this defensive group is 32nd in the league. Yeah. So, you know. um, I I remember seeing one from the Athletic that had uh, Edmonton 31st and then Vancouver 32nd. So, you know, someone had 30 seconds, someone had them 30 seconds. I've seen them 31st, a lot of places. So, you know, like, I honestly don't think it's, uh, when you talk about, oh, well, you know, we had, we had, we couldn't have possibly, you know, done something different, but you know what? We, uh, we kind of knew what we were all walking into, right? So, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's not a good defense at all. I don't think we've ever on this podcast claimed that it was. Yeah, it kind of feels like we're we're, we're talking about the same thing every week, but it's hard to talk about anything different when the team, um, you know, they they are what they are. They they're a fantastic they offensive. Would give group me and, something different to talk about. I would love to talk about something different. I feel very much like a broken record, a negative broken record when yeah. we do these things. I mean, I guess the, the glass half full side of it is this team is still really good despite the terrible defense. I mean, they all like, and when we say the poor defense, like we're not sure, like we, we could pick apart the defense and say, you know, Tyson Berry's not as good as people think. Duncan Key's not as good as people think. And, you know, all that's true, but it's just like, they're allowing a lot of goals. Like that's, it's very simple stats. We're not digging deep into the advanced stats here. Like they allow a lot of shots on a lot of goals. They're not a good defensive team by any means. The yeah. positive part. If you go back to it, they also allow a ridiculous amount. This is slightly fancy, Corey, but they yeah. also allow a ridiculous amount of um, high value shots, for lack of a better oh, term. Oh, for sure. You know, dangerous shots. They're not, and a lot of the the uh, dangerous shots are turning into goals because they're giving up lanes that they they can't afford to be giving up. Right. Yeah, you could get as fancy or as simple as you want. Like it's just anyways. We could even just, you know what we could do? We could, you know, I test this. Um yeah. <laughs> and some of the defensive uh sorry, 
I know everyone's all like, oh, eye test. Um, Because <laughs> it's the, uh, the, the fabled fallback eye of, of the debate. older um, hockey generation. But even just on a general eye test, some of those defensive moves. And, you know, I was reading in the media today, oh, Bouchard's not doing well. And I was like, the people I've seen get walked have been Nurse and have been Keith. And yeah, okay, Bouchard a little bit. But like, I've been... T- to two Oilers games this year, I think. Um, and I've seen Nurse get walked in both of them. So don't talk to me about, you know, how it's the rookies that are are failing the defense. I think yeah. the entirety yeah. of the defense is failing the defense. I think I think that's that's a problem with the Oilers is um yeah, you know, we heard Dave Tippett at the beginning of last season preach accountability, but this is not a, a, co- a coaching staff that really holds that in high regard. They don't put that into practice often um, and when they do they they single out their younger players um, Ethan Bear was the guy last year and so was Caleb Jones and um, they tend to overlook the mistakes of their veteran players and this year I think Darnell Nurse has earned that veteran tag he got paid like a veteran so you know we won't be seeing that accountability he's going to be that first left defense no matter what I'm he gonna, does I'm not going to lie to you we didn't see um, we didn't see accountability for Darnell Nurse last year either yeah. because if we had seen an excessive amount of accountability for Darnell Nurse, no one would have been okay with the 9.25 million contract, right? If media had treated Darnell Nurse like they treated Ethan Bear or Evan Bouchard or... um, I can I can go on a hour-long at one point, yes. Yeah, they they wouldn't have been okay. Like, the media would have been clamoring. So I know that Nurse is in, like, the in-group of unassailable defensemen. I'm just really sad that the rest of the league doesn't know where he's positioned. So they would stop assailing him going by him and scoring on us. Yeah. You know, he's an unassailable defenseman NHL forwards. Please stop proving everybody else wrong. The one olive branch I will kind of extend to like the, the Mark Spectres of the world, which is an odd thing to say on the thing. Is uh, is like he did have a pretty rough game, I think, in his own end yesterday. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it wasn't oh. his best game, and the reason it stood out so much to me, at least, is because the standard we've come to expect from Evan Bouchard, even this early in his career, is the best defenseman on the team, like the guy oh. who is above getting walked, like everyone else does so much. And when he does get walked, at least he gives a lot back on the offensive end, which he still does. Uh, so. Sure, yeah. Did Evan Bouchard have a game below his standards yesterday? Yeah, he did. But his standards is just, like, higher than anyone else on the team. So, like, let's not what? lose sight Wait, of that. On. Can I ask why the rookie has a higher standard um, than, you know, the veterans on this team? Yeah, I was just well, the, the, the simple answer to that is I think he's just a better player. Yeah. Fine, I, fine. I, okay, we need to, but before we give uh, precedent an aneurysm by forcing him to circle back to our – you know, Evan Bouchard is better than everyone else. And oh, I agree why are that. the Oilers set up it. this way? Um, because, you know, he's like, we have a whole other podcast. I can't waste the entire hour on this one topic, people. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, you're right. I think that the expectations of Bouchard are greater, which is just an interesting thing if you think about it. Yeah, I was just thinking about that too. It's almost as if um, these young players, these young defensemen in, in, in particular, um, playing good early on in their NHL career is almost a detriment to themselves um, for the long term with this team. Because when Ethan Bear came in, 
uh, was it two seasons ago and had just played out of his mind, made the team out of camp, was a top line or top pairing defenseman all year for the Oilers. He came back and eh, didn't have that great of a year in his second year after that. And then this past season, he dealt with injury issues and everyone was comparing him to that that first year where he was really good. And because um, he wasn't at that standard, all of a sudden everyone, I don't know, they just held him to a higher esteem and held him to maybe unfair expectations. And I think that ultimately pushed him out. But when you get guys like um, Tyson Berry, who, um, you know, he does what he does and everyone kind of already knows what he does and he's not held to that higher expectation. So he can perform worse than Bear, but no one cares because it's just a little bit under what he is. So it's, it's an interesting, um, that's an interesting perspective, actually. I never really thought about it like that. I don't know. I uh, think it'll be interesting to see how they handle the defense going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's in the crosshairs uh, of the Oilers mainstream media in a way it wasn't previous to now. So, you know, um, you know, we previous to this road trip where we were losing to Buffalo, um, Detroit, those are like pity points to Ken Holland's old team, a gift or something um, uh, from Ken Holland's new team. But really what should happen is we should get the points because we still have Ken. Um, sorry, I'm not a nice person today. Um, but the, uh, the whole rhetoric around it was that the Oilers were 10 and two best start of their franchise history. So everyone should just, stop their complaining and enjoy it. Um, and now that we are, or 10 and one, best start in history, stop our complaining and enjoy it. And now that we're 11 and three, um, people are starting to at least uh, be a little more cognizant of what's going on under those victories, which I think is a positive for understanding how the Oilers can get better. There's my I, silver line. Preston. I think, I think it's, I don't think either enjoying this team's start and early success and pointing out the cracks that are starting to form are mutually exclusive though. Like no, you can they do are one and do the while. other, right? Yeah. So, you know, Preston, they, they still are for a lot of our, yeah, our, a lot of our Oilers fans. Um, I can't count on the number of times on Twitter that our Twitter guy, Matt, got told to basically shut up. The Oilers had the best start in their franchise history. Why was he harping on about all these negative things, you know? So um, for a lot of Oilers fans, there needs to be a certain level of reality before they'll accept that it is not a sainted team that's going to cruise to the Stanley Cup, right? Yeah. And um, I think that, like, all that... All the fights that Matt gets in are basically a good reason for us to just like keep on repeating that like, look, we're pointing out faults, but like we still think this is a good team. We're still excited that they're ten and three. Yeah. Um, you know, and like, yeah. you know, I'm sure Matt believes that too. I don't want to speak for him, but well, no, even some like, of his we, tweets, he's 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 genuinely okay. thrilled that they're doing this yeah. well. You know, look, look he at his tweets during the game, right? Like whenever right, anyone right. scores, it's it's a it's a fun thing that happens right so this feel like a lot of like in like inter organizational like fan arguments on twitter like where both people are fans of the same team it's just like you picked out the one tweet in a in a string of like 10 tweets that would piss you off and if you had read all 10 you wouldn't be pissed off and that's just like i don't know that's just so twitter sometimes yes yeah. well, well, i feel like we'll be twitter without that right so yeah i also feel like a lot of oilers fans believe there's a uh, best way to be an Oilers fan. 
And, yeah. you know, I agree with that. a lot of them, that best way to be an Oilers fan is to um, believe in the organization no matter what, continue to trust the organization and, um, you know, put their faith in, in this, this organization that they love and no, no knocks on that. You know, that we need people in the world that are able to, um, despite disappointments, continue to unreservedly love something, you know, personally, I'm not that person. Once it kicks me eight or 10 times, I am not unreservedly loving it anymore, <laughs> but, um, we have Oilers fans who've, you know, sat through the decade of darkness and every year they're like, well, no, last year wasn't our year, but this year is going to be our year. Like we've done this, this, and this, and they're saying we're going to be a lot better. You know, I honestly don't think that this team would have, um, the opportunity to be so good right now, if it didn't have fans who were willing to sit, you know, and unreservedly believe each year is going to be better than the last year because, you know, they wouldn't be buying tickets. They wouldn't have made it. You need a hardcore fan base. If you're going to be financially viable after 10 years of sucking, this is what I'm trying to say nicely. (laughs) Once in my life, I'm trying to say something nicely and it's not working. It's a, like they are it's so a, awful that if we did not have true believers in the Oilers, they would have freaking picked this team up and moved it somewhere. <laughs> it's kind of a, a love-hate relationship that uh, that we have with the, with the fans that re- refuse to uh, to criticize the team and argue with us. But, you know, um, one of the other things that other than the defensive group that uh, has been kind of struggling of late has been the Oilers' third line. I know the third line to start the year was actually pretty good. Fogel, Ryan, Cassian were getting good results. They were scoring. It looked like that the Oilers finally found their solution in the bottom six. Uh, oh, of late, happened? though, not a, not as much. They haven't been as great. But did, one of the did we, positives. Did we put them in the line blender. I swear <laughs> to God, the third went into the line blender one, and it didn't well, come out I've, quite I've, the same. One of the positives, though, that I'm going to bring up about this is that I believe it was uh, Fogel, McLeod, and um, who was that third guy in the third line against the the Blues? Scrivener? Uh, was it? Oh, Skivier. Skivier. Skivier, yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, I can't I, I they... and not think it's a Harry Potter name. I'm like, you're a Google like Death Eater guy, aren't you? <laughs> but I, I actually really like that third line, and I think um, – no, McLeod scored his first goal of his NHL career, which was fantastic. But that line as a whole looked very good for the Oilers against the Blues, I thought. And um, even having Tyler Benson there on that fourth line changed the complexion of the fourth line as well. I think this is a, a sign that you have to start giving these type of guys more minutes in the lineup. And I pray to God that when Devin Shore comes back, that we give Ryan McLeod a little bit longer to establish himself because I think he's looked a lot better than Shore in this not a lot of time and even Benson I think Benson has proven to be more of an impact forward than say a Kyle Turris or a Brendan Perlini has been so far this year so my question to you guys is um do you think Ryan McLeod sticks with the big club for the remainder of the year or will Devin Shore push him out and then I know we talked about Benson a few weeks ago but does does Benson finally get the benefit of the doubt over Brendan Perlini is it is it finally time to see Benson in the lineup as a regular no, 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 no. Oh, sorry, sorry. You were at. I was doing realistic Dave Tippett. Yeah, answer. that's what sorry. I'm concerned right, about. Yeah, I was kind of going to say yes and yes, but in terms of like what I would do, but no one, no, in terms of what I think will happen. 
Uh, which right. is I was just going with what I think will happen, and that's no end. Yeah. No, <laughs> it baffles me to no end to see that this team has Kyle Turris. I don't know why this year they decided Kyle Turris was the guy that they will ride or die. Didn't he? He I, came into camp in the best shape of his life, Preston. I just I do Turris? not understand it. This guy was a healthy scratch for the more than half of last year, but now he's just given the benefit of the okay. doubt to be in the lineup almost every night. I just he's played terrible. Or ah. sense. <laughs> and we we keep constantly hearing about how this team has gotten more depth at the forward position, and yet Kyle Turris is still in the lineup every night. And I was like, this guy couldn't crack the lineup last year. Was different this year. It's it frustrates me. We too. haven't even mentioned Cooper Marodi, and I think like you know he's a guy who probably should start to see some ice time. Uh, at this you point, know, just I... based on the success of Benson and McLeod, it's like, well, these guys are having so much success, and I mean, I guess success is in the eye of the beholder because, you know, we think that they're doing great and uh, Dave Tippett doesn't always think the same. But, you know, if they're so good, Marody was every bit as good as them in the AHL. I mean, those mm-hmm. guys were a really cohesive three-man unit. It wasn't one guy carrying the other two around. So, I mean, I, I'd actually like to see him get a look this year as well, but that's probably a pipe dream. I know, and you, you bring would... that up, and people will be like, well, he hasn't shown well at the NHL level. And I'm looking at Cooper Marodi's Hockey DB page. This guy played six games for the Oilers way back in 2018-19, and since then he's absolutely destroyed the AHL. I think it's just it's, it's no, a no-brainer. Give him a chance. If you're not going to give him a chance, I think he will make it. Um, I'm going to go against you here. I think he will make it. But I don't think he'll make it due to positive circumstances. I think the Oilers, you know, we're really seeing it with this Mike Smith debacle. Who thought that signing a 40-year-old goalie was a good idea? I love goalies. And I didn't think that. Um, <laughs> you know, let them play till they're 60, but not on my team. Um, I think that the Oilers, like, we've seen a fair number of injuries even to start the season. Cassian's been injured. Shore's been injured. Um Smith's obviously been injured. So I think, you know, um, based on the age of some of our uh, bottom six and, you know, our defense and um, that, that we might see more call-ups from the AHL than we were strictly speaking expecting because I think that some guys are going to end up on the LTIR, right? They're just um, Kyle Turris, best shape of his life, yes, but that doesn't mean he's 22 anymore either. Right. So if he is hurt, it would take a considerably longer period for him to recover. And it would be more worth it to bring somebody up to cover that position. Because, like we've seen with Mike Smith, you know, you can say he's day to day, and day to day means five weeks. I don't know, you know, or month to month at this point. It's almost yes. up. And at the end of the day, like, regardless of how old a guy, and like, you're 100% right, Shona, by the way, but like, regardless of how old, and in shape, you know, apparently, which is kind of a bit we're doing with Kyle Turris uh, for, for the oh, listeners. We needed be, a bit for Kyle Turris. He doesn't really give us anything else here. Yeah, he but uh, you know, there's a lot of injuries for an, every NHL team over an 82-game schedule. So, like, if you're a guy who's the next man up in the AHL, eventually you're going to get a look. I mean, look at the – I mean, obviously the Penguins went through a bunch of COVID issues too, but, like, look at how deep into their organization they've already had to dig up. And it's only, you know – 14 games into the season or whatever. So through an 82 game season, we'll, we'll see him. I'm sure we'll see. Him. Yeah. 
Cooper Marody, by the way, 12 games in the AHL at the Condor so far, five goals, six assists, 11 points. So he's picking up right where he left off. It doesn't seem to have missed a step from a production standpoint. Um, and they're looking pretty good. Hey, another guy that's down over in the AHL that I think we could see sooner rather than later. Actually, there's a few of them on the back end. I think Philip Roberg has had a fantastic start to his AHL career. Um, we could see him due to injury uh, as an injury call-up. I hope and, not. And Dmitry Samarukov looked fantastic, I think. He's recovered from that broken draw he suffered in preseason. He looked fantastic in preseason. I think he would have made a pretty good case to, to actually make the opening night lineup if, over like a Cuckoo or Chris Russell. Um, yeah. So he's another guy. We I can would, see see those guys coming up too to maybe save would, that defensive group. I would love Samarukov. I am hesitant on Broberg. You know, he's played what? 12 games on mm-hmm. NHL-sized ice right race, now. Yeah. So, um, you know, for the love of development, Tippett, could you just not yeah. for once in your life just do the smart thing? Um, you know, don't put the guy down when the developmental choice is to have him up. But I think, uh, don't yeah, pull him up when the developmental like choice is to let him play. A guy like Broberg, I think, would um, benefit a lot by spending a full season with Dave. I think it's Dave Manson down there who who uh, coaches the, the defense, um, and he's a fantastic guy at developing those those overseas guys. And early returns, very good. He, I think, has played. Let me just pull up his um, DB here, just to get a stat line. Yeah, twelve games, nine assists, so nine points in twelve games. Pretty pretty decent offensive production from a defenseman down there. So. Um, yeah, so that, that's all be interesting to see down the line if there's any injuries to the back end to see if those guys can come in and make an impact. Similarly to how maybe Evan Bouchard or Ethan Bear or Caleb Jones has done in the past. I'm just, I'm just saying, don't, you know, for once, oh God, I'm going to throw up. But you know how David Staples was telling us not to take 12 games as like, you know, or not to take Oh my goodness, are we agreeing whatever. with David Staples? <laughs> I know, I, I'm going to go throw up. That's what I've got to go do. Um, but <laughs> You know, it's a great start for Broberg, yeah. and I'm really pleased mm-hmm. to see it because I had, I still have my doubts about, you know, yeah, what that's what any what American ice in the NHL is going to look for him, North American ice in the NHL is going to look like for him. But I really think that you don't pinball him around this year. Yeah, you just let him develop. In other so, words, don't Puliarvi this man. <laughs> well, or Yakupovit, or, or Yakupovit. Hold on, there's a whole list of people they've messed up. So, yeah, I'm going to go be sick for having to staples this, but I'll be right back. Every <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about you, Corey? What are your thoughts on uh, maybe Broberg or, or Sam Rukov potentially coming up and making a, an impact? I mean, I get all of Shana's concerns on Broberg. And if, if you don't have to bring him up, uh, yeah, let him play a bunch down in the AHL. Let him gain some confidence. Uh, generally, I'm, I'm of the mind that hey you can develop in the nhl as long as you're getting minutes as long as you're not coming up here and sitting on the bench but i think it might be a little bit of a different case with a guy who's not used to this size ice uh as broberg is not um uh smurukov uh yeah i mean he's a little bit older obviously um a little bit more of a seasoned player uh obviously looked really good in preseason i think he's actually a guy who could be like a top six defenseman on the team right now yeah not that you know, Dave Tibbet probably doesn't think that, uh, but let him let him show that that is the case. If it is in fact the case, I don't want to confidently say that I I know that, but you know, there's enough information out there just you know by how good he's looked in the AHL uh, to suggest that yeah you know maybe he is as good as some of these guys like a CC like uh, Slater Cuckoo 
who's currently getting play up in the NHL. Yeah. Um, and like at the end of the day, we're always shitting on the defense in this pod- podcast. Like the team's really good. Uh, we're not losing games because of our defense, no matter how bad it is. But like, if we could improve that area, like we could be a really, really strong yeah, team. So that's like the one hole on this team. The one thing that isn't firing on all cylinders is our defensive uh, group. Yeah. Fix that. This team is legitimately like no doubt about it. Like Pacific division champion, top five team in the league. That's, that's the, for thing. Sure. and I think our goaltending can be good enough. The ones we have right now, um, even if Mike Smith comes back, he has shown in the recent uh, past that he can be a really good goaltender. Mikko Koskinen has nine wins, I think, right now. Like, it's all there except for the defense. So, no, it's just frustrating to see how close they are to being a really good, legitimate top team in the NHL. Like, no doubt about it. And uh, well, it's just frustrating back? to see. Sorry, I've returned. Can we go back and just have a second to acknowledge that for all the expectations that Mikko Koskinen would be awful this year that has I, I called this. not been the case I called this right? I knew I knew I knew um uh Miko Koskinen was a good goalie like I said everyone overreacted to a bad game against Vancouver at the end of the year and ignored how he completely saved this team to start the year and was run into the ground and predictably fell off a cliff so I think yeah. Oh, not everybody. I believe I was in there with the okay. fuck off, leave the goalies alone. <laughs> Put the explicit rating on us. Um, but essentially, fuck off, leave the goalies alone. No one knows quite how they do it. So just, you know. I think I was seeing some, uh, some. Um, I think Jay Fresh over on Twitter, who's a, a guy that uh, if you don't subscribe to on Patreon, he does fantastic uh, statistical visualizations. Um, he was kind of defending his uh, the model the analytical models that uh, projected seattle to be a, a top team in the pacific division because that's not the case right now um because yeah but neither goal- is vegas right now so just everybody hold their horses we have because, no idea uh, the, what the, this the reason like. why is because uh, seattle has actually lived up to their um, expectations defensively and offensively where which was uh they'd be good defensively but pretty bad offensively but their goaltending philip grubauer has been absolutely awful like the Vesna I think he was nominated for the Vesna last year he and he's yeah. um yeah, he was also near the bottom the of the list so he's also go- I'm sorry Gruber was also behind a really good Avs team last yeah. year like sometimes a goalie just gets a bump from being behind a really good team yeah so uh, the, the, that's the true to an there. extent too but he's got like an 880 save percentage this year like you could be behind a pretty bad defense and you should still stop more than yeah Yeah, well i'm not saying that's all of it but i'm just saying like uh goaltenders are just so strange to me i don't think you could ever i don't think you can like accurately um model a goaltender's performance on anything and that comes from me and i'm a big believer in analytics goaltenders are just such a subjective position from from day to day from season to season that it's almost impossible to to really know what's going to happen every any given year it's uh yeah goalies are voodoo there they're just i i stay out of pretty much all goalie discussions because i just like i don't know yeah. is he good is he not good i i, I will stand behind okay Corey. i will stand yeah. behind him all goalies are, are good goalies some yeah. goalies are just a little better goalies <laughs> they're like dogs all goalies are good goalies there are no bad dogs there are no bad goalies some of them just stop more pucks. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then I can, I can agree with that. About I, it. We we love some goalie love on the podcast as well. I think goaltending. When I was a kid, I always wanted to be a goaltender, so I've always had a soft spot for them. Can you teach an old goalie new tricks? Like, is Mike Smith learning any new tricks anytime soon? Okay, that's taking the dog metaphor maybe too far, but I would Michael like to Koskinen is that, trying his darndest to learn how to, to handle the puck, and it's not working that great. So I don't know if you can. Teach I would like to point out that in some cases you can teach older goalies um, different ways of uh, tracking pucks and that. Uh, the head trajectory thing that was out three or four years ago was pretty revolutionary for not just Devin Dudnik, but for several of um, goalies that had, you know, were in their late 20s or early thirties at the time. I think it's just got adapted to throughout the league, right? Like anything. So I think you can teach an old goalie new tricks. It just depends on what the trick is. Yeah, you got a question for you guys. It's early in the season. And like any dog, if the treat at the end is good enough that they want to try. Um, Shake a ball? For what? <laughs> um, do we, do, can, could we possibly be seeing Mikko Koskinen putting in a Vesna caliber um, season so far? Now, I'm not saying he wins it, but could he get that nomination? Because, you know, he's not doesn't have a great defense in front of him. Um, yeah. he's, he's playing or he's playing a really good game right now. If he continues it, I don't I see don't why think not. the fact that you don't have a great defense in front of you is ever going to win you. Like, yes, it makes it more impressive what you're doing, but I just feel like the voters are just going to go pretty much based off stats. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, like he's got, uh, he's got I think those stats just right? under okay. 920 save percentage. I would right like now. to point out that um, not having a great defense in front of you does in fact help your stats because your save percentage goes up the more they let people flip and shoot on you. Right, as long as they're not all like right at the top of the circle. Well, I mean like as long as, yeah, what they're trying to let people do is hit like the crest on your jersey, you know, that still counts as a shot. But no, he's got very good stats. I mean, this tiny helper is adorable. Yeah, I got, I got my cat uh, sitting on my, my shoulders right now. But, uh, no, I, truly, an awful defense can help goalies statistically. Right? Right, little guy? <laughs> this is going to be really weird for the listeners because they can't see the cat, but uh, the, the cat is... Oh, we've had plenty of cats. Probably not a visual there. medium, but there is a cat on what we can see right okay. now. Like, there was a whole thing last year about um, uh, cat behavior that... Uh, Holland and Tippett kept re. Uh... Oh yeah, I remember so this. This will not be the first time the listeners have been subjected to a cat they can't see directing this <laughs> podcast. Um, okay, I think that's going to do it for our first half of the podcast. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, drastically changing the Oilers' offensive group, and that includes putting Ryan Nugent Hopkins as the third center, as I believe it was uh, low tide over at the Athletic proposed in one of his latest posts. I also want to talk a little bit about Stuart Skinner making his first two starts of the season, and then we'll go back to some predictions for the coming weeks. We'll be right back talking about that after these messages. All right, and we're back. We left off talking about my cat, who is still perched up on my shoulders. Unfortunately for you guys, you can't see it. Now he's trying to play with my cords. Um, and we also oh, talked a little bit about uh, Miko Koskin and maybe having a Vesna caliber season, which I don't think any of us thinks is, at this point, is, is too um, crazy to think about. But now I want to shift focus towards changing up the offensive group for the Oilers. And, you know, a third-line center has been something the Oilers have been searching for for probably the better part of a decade now. thought Derek Ryan had that uh, the potential to fill it, 
uh, but he's been bumped down to the fourth line center and the bottom six has picked up right from uh, last season's atrocious results. So could the Oilers potentially move down Ryan Nugent Hopkins, play him with Fogel and let's say Benson or something, move Fogel to the right wing, put Benson on the left wing, maybe give that line a little bit more skill and um, spread out the, the talent a little bit more. I don't see why not. The Oilers have always had the three centers that they're looking for. They're just not all playing center a yeah. lot of the time. I think yeah. the main obstacle has always been, do we have enough good wingers to actually spread out our centermen? And yeah. the answer has always been a definitive no, but the forward depth has gotten better this year. Uh, I don't know if it's good enough that we actually want Ryan Nugent Hopkins playing on like a third line because he is still – I'd say easily a top six forward for us. So as long as like ice time is being divvied up the way it currently is, you don't want Ryan Nugent Hopkins getting less ice time, although he does play the power play. So he'll get a lot of it back that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the first line with, with Hyman and Pugliarvi McDavid like that, there's no longer any need to have dry on that line. And then dry Yamamoto and currently Nugent Hopkins, of course, that that wing role would have to be filled by someone else if Nugent Hopkins moved back to center. That's a pretty solid line, too. So maybe. I mean, yeah. it's I uh, it's finding out who fills that void because the obvious the obvious choice would be Fogel. But then ideally, you'd like to have Fogel with Nugent Hopkins because he's kind of more of a trigger guy. And Nugent Hopkins has been an absolute wizard with the puck and, and finding finding players this season um but i don't know it's it's that one more winger maybe you bump up maybe you bump up a benson maybe you you, you play mcleod on the wing instead with nuge uh i don't know there, there are options there though and i i think it'd be I, I think it'd be stupid not to at least try it for a game like the Oilers are at 11 and three. You have some room to experiment. You have some room to, Hey, if it doesn't work and you go 11, four, one game, just go back to what you think works. Right. I think it's at least worth, worth a shot at this point. hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, you don't, yeah. You don't, yeah. The only thing you don't you like, you don't want to have Leon Dreisaitl not play with enough talent because he's, you know, probably the second best offensive player in the world. Well, well, right now he's number one. <laughs> I mean, right now, yeah, right now he's probably playing better than McDavid. But overall, yeah. McDavid, I'd say, is the best offensive yeah. player in the world, and I don't think anyone would argue with that. Uh, Not even Leon Dreisaitl. No, I'm sure he wouldn't. But Leon Dreisaitl's wing, wingers just being like Yamamoto and you know McLeod on the wing or something like that. Like that seems like a little like you might not yeah. get quite as much as you want out of Leon Dreisaitl if that's the case. Um. So that being said, I mean, I think Leon Dreisaitl can turn a lot of players into a really good scoring winger. I yeah, think the- um, it's interesting because, you know, we've heard uh, – where are you putting Zach Hyman in this game? Is he up on the first wing with Puyarvi yeah, yeah. and uh, um, McDavid? Yeah. Okay. So I think it's interesting because we've been told, you know, we have such a solid top six. You know, the Oilers have the one of the best top sixes in the league. And undoubtedly, as long as you just take them as a top six, that is 100% true. Yeah. But the moment you try to take one piece like Ryan Nugent Hopkins out of that top six to play it in a top nine, I think it becomes obvious that for all that previous, you know, the Oilers had, you know, a good top nine, um, they don't have sustainable options in their top nine that they've developed. 
right? So um, the fact that Corey and Preston are scrambling to figure out if we put Nugent Hopkins down and kept Fogel with Nugent Hopkins, who could be up with Drysidle, right? And then who else would be with Fogel and Nugent Hopkins? You know, like yeah, what it's are, hard what to are find you, that balance. Who are you taking here and who are you taking there? Um, I mean, obviously, uh, when he's healthy, Cassian tends to get slotted into one of those positions, rightly or wrongly, um, depending on the position. But, you know, um, I think it's always interesting when we try to play like this game with the Oilers top nine. And we're not even looking at, you know, the fourth line. Fourth line will be what the fourth line will be. But, you know, can you take Benson off the fourth line or can you take Ryan and play him um, not as a center, but as a winger and see what happens, um, you know, because at the very least uh, you might have more luck with uh, Derek Ryan as a third line winger on um, than you might have with, you know, uh, McLeod up on the second line, you know, with what, 20 NHL games under his belt. Yeah. You it's, know, it's weird. Cause the more I think about it, the more, the more I think I would, I would, to balance things out, I, I'd put Hyman with Dreisaitl and Yamamoto, and then, you know, maybe a guy like Fogel or something. I think Fogel's the but guy you want to bring up, but then you go look at Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and he's not left with much after you do that. So, that kind of always the thing about Nugent Hopkins is that whenever you put him as a third center, he is just playing with like the you're giving worst him all. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a activity you do with kids, and it's called like spare parts. And I feel like you're doing this with Nugent Hopkins right now. Mm. So we're putting Nugent Hopkins on the third line, centering the third line. And we've got like four ratchets and a uh, bag of pucks. And this is what <laughs> Nugent Hopkins gets to play with. Yeah. You know, and then it, like, then it feels like you're not utilizing. Um, and it's not nearly as much fun to watch Nugent Hopkins do that as it is to watch a six-year-old try to make art out of like four googly eyes, two popsicle sticks and a big bucket of glue. You know, one of those is far more fun for me. Um, so yeah, like, is it an interesting experiment to put Nugent Hopkins as a third line center? Yeah, but I'm not actually sure the Oilers have addressed enough of their winging winger winger problems problems with their wings um, to make it a sustainable thing if it works. I think right? if you do try, you try it against a team like you know a struggling team like well I don't know struggling. Oh team. oh really? Yeah, maybe not. They always tend to not play well when they have their optimal, well, as optimal as you can get lineup go hitting the ice. So I don't know. It's an interesting idea. I think if you want, if you do it, you do it now. Um, when you well, have these eleven wins now. in the bank, um, maybe try it for a game. If it doesn't work out, hey, just put them back up. No, oh, no big deal. Um, we could try it now with what we have, and or yeah. you could, or if it doesn't work out, you could always readdress it. If they're still leading the division later in the year, that could be like a deadline acquisition. Yeah, so like get in there. I, I still think the deadline, deadline should be. Dead. He will specifically avoid that area. Then it's. I mean, there's there's definitely bigger areas of need, but it's it's a nice get if, yeah. if you can address the de- the defense first. Yeah, he's not addressing the defense. He's specifically chosen this defense for whatever Ken Holland reason. Um, you know, that's Hall of Famer Ken Holland to all of us, by the way. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, Moving on, maybe I'll a little call him what more. I darn well please. <laughs> I, I want to say this is positive, but it kind of got negative results over the past week. But Stuart Skinner made his first two starts of the season of the season and his second and third starts of his NHL career. 
Um, against uh, Detroit, I thought he was fantastic. I thought the team played very poorly around him. Um, unfortunately, a giveaway goal caused by Skinner ended up being the game winner, so that wasn't ideal. I still think he played fantastic. Um, and then he lost against Buffalo in another pretty poor defensive out, out uh, put by the Oilers as well. But uh, from what I've seen in his first two games of the season, I think Stuart Skinner is legit. I think he's a legitimate like NHL backup quality goaltender right now. Why is it always okay? They're not all going to be Zach Pacali, you know, and win their first game with a shutout or, you know, go on a, a hot streak. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know when it became less than normal for um, goalies, uh, rookie goalies in their first few starts to lose, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, you know, if you look back at some of them, it's pretty normal that, you know, as they get their feet under them, adjust to the, uh, speed of the game where it's not practice where your own guys aren't, you know, intentionally trying to mess you up um, or run you over or take over your crease. Like, I think he played pretty well, you know, yeah, he made mistakes, but again, um, let's not be all Ken Holland about this and be like, he deserves to go right back down to the AHL because he made one mistake um, or two mistakes or three mistakes. He's learning. And I think um, if you give him a chance to learn and build for a little bit, you know, especially since you have no choice right now. Mm-hmm. Can Mike Smith play? No. All right. This is what you've got. You've got a rookie goalie who's finding his feet, who's able to play large parts of a game quite well, you know, maybe keep his team in it as much as they were in Buffalo, you know. Um, so it's just, you know how you're like, give it a try, just give it a try, give, give, you know, thinking that this is a positive piece of Stuart Skinner's development, a try. Yeah. I, I, in those two games, he was far from the only problem. I don't think he was a problem in either game. I think he kept Edmonton in that Detroit game for large swaths of the game. And then even against Buffalo, I thought he, he held them in it, um, for a long time as well. And, you know, he is a rookie goaltender. He is playing his first few NHL games if you don't give him the defensive support, like he's going to let a few in. That's just how it goes in the NHL for any goaltender. Let me remind you that, you know, Corey was in here telling us two weeks ago that we should prepare for barn burners because that was the Oilers run and gun style this year. So of course your baby rookie goaltender is going to let a few in. We're set up for barn burners. Yeah. It's not the 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 most games that they lost was what they couldn't uh... score. Like their offense didn't carry through in the ones that they lost. Yeah, yeah. Miko Koskin is getting a lot of run support that uh, that Stuart Skinner is just not getting at all. Um, and you're right, the barn burner type of game is not kind to uh, a rookie goaltender trying to find his footing because it's hard to build confidence when you're facing grade A chances of like every second shift, right? So um, I think this has been a good little cup of tea for, for Stuart Skinner. And I, I think he will get a few more games before he's sent back down and Mike Smith returns. But hey, I think down the road here, if there is another injury to a goaltender, we're in some good hands and Skinner could be our full-time backup as soon as next year. And I don't think that's a, a negative thing for the Oilers. I think that's actually um, quite exciting to have a homebrew goalie actually do accomplish something. Sort of homebrew goalie. Um, if you think of Skinner, like think of how amazing his performance, like, until they pulled him out of the AHL, he was just rocking it in the AHL, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, 
when he has a defense and, you know, he's settled and he knows what he's up against. That's the type of goal he, he is. So if we, if the Oilers can get him to that point where he has something of a defense and he, he's settled and he knows what to expect, I think you'll see a lot more of what you saw in the NHL at the NHL level. It's just that process of getting there. Goalies are not hoodoo, Corey, but they're also not like uh, light switch. You don't just turn them on and turn them on. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, he could have been lit up this week or he could have, you know, had a shutout and like another really good game that he won or something. Uh, I was going to say two shutouts, but like if he had two shutouts, I would have been pretty impressed by that. Uh, but either way, like, I don't know. Apparently- whether he did well or poorly this week, I wasn't going to change my opinion much on Stuart Skinner, which is that he's got a really long, good track record of being a good goalie at every level. So, like, I'm not worried about Stuart Skinner. I think he'll be a fine thing, backup know, when he gets a chance and then, you know, potentially even a starter down the road. If, if I'm Stuart not mistaken. Not, like, the big goalie story this week for anyone who follows goalies was Zach Fucale for the Washington Capitals, right? But you got to remember, Zach Bacali's been in the minors. He's 26 now. Stuart Skinner is not 26 yet. So mm-hmm. Zach Bacali's been to Europe. Zach Bacali's played in the minors. Zach Bacali's been traded from the team that drafted him. You know, all of these pieces of the story that put him in a different place. So if if players are, or if people are going, well, he's not, you know, doing things like Zach Bacali, um, because we do like to, uh, you know, equate things rightly or wrongly. I think it's just a completely different trajectory they've been on, right? And yeah, and then yeah, from like, what I think seen, about it, for Cali was uh, teammates with Nathan McKinnon when they won that Memorial Cup. Like, think of how established yeah. Nathan McKinnon is. Like, that's how old for Cali is, and how yeah. much season he's had. So, well, just something well, to put it in a little. Cali was uh, teammates with Nathan McKinnon, but for Cali's draft year, I think was uh, a year and a, or it might have even been two years after McKinnon. Right. So you know. Um, not quite like Nathan McKinnon's draft year established, but yeah, yeah, a year or two off Nathan McKinnon's draft year. Um, you know, and, and Stuart Skinner's. From what I've seen, Skinner has always been the type of guy. Is like he 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 needs time to adjust to. Just looking at whenever he's changed leagues, he always starts slow, but once he gets his footing there, then you start seeing the good results um, start to come in pretty quickly. So um, yeah, I, I I think this has been actually probably better performance than expected from from the young guy and i'm excited to see where where his path leads uh next because honestly if um if hey if miko koskinen puts in a vesna caliber season i could see the others resigning him and trying to move smith and then running a a koskinen skinner duo next year hey why not um, anyways, I think that's going to do it for um, our main topics for this uh, week's show. Uh, we're going to go into um, our predictions for the coming week. Now, the Oilers, they still have a busy week ahead of themselves. They have a doubleheader against the Jets um, on Tuesday, if you're listening to, uh, to this podcast on the Jets. day of release. That's tonight at 6 p.m. Then they host the Jets on Thursday at 7 p.m. And then they play the Blackhawks at home at Rogers Place on Ooh. Saturday. So what are we thinking here? Do we think the Oilers exact some revenge on the playoff series and sweep the Jets in these two games and uh, then finish off the Blackhawks on Saturday? Or is there is there something else going down here? They're winning. I mean, I'm going to keep doing the bit. <laughs> do your bit, Corey, so I can do my bit. Okay, yep. your, your turn, Shona. So uh, I think they split with the Jets and they better... Um, I'm sorry the Blackhawks have not been good, you know, and that's fine. 
you know, um, do not not be good against the Blackhawks. Um, the Blackhawks are a team I need you to destroy for reasons that we are all aware of. You know, if we've been in the hockey world, the Blackhawks are a team I need you to destroy. Little... And, you know, Connor McDavid, if you want to destroy them because they've sat your Erie Otters bestie for like the better part of the start of the season, go for it. Whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever gets it done. Just there's a guy the that if we do decide to split but, Nuge yeah. up onto the third line, there's a guy who could actually help. Just yeah, just but we can't that afford there. Um, <laughs> Dylan Strom. So yeah, I say two wins and a loss. But it better okay. be against All the right. Bets or a riot. Pretty pretty conservative pick. I I respect that. Um, you know the Oilers. That uh, is my shtick, Preston. The Oilers. The Oilers dominated the Jets in the regular season last year. Absolutely destroyed them. So. This ain't playoffs. This is regular season hockey. The Oilers are going to continue that. They're going to beat them both games. And hey, the Blackhawks are the Blackhawks. They suck for reasons on the ice and off the ice. And they're going to take it to them. An interesting little tidbit there. Caleb Jones might be making his season debut with the Blackhawks against the Oilers, against his former team. It'll be the first time he plays an NHL game since that trade. That's all Duncan Keith come to the Oilers. Also, Jujar Kara signed there with uh, the Blackhawks in the summer. So it would be a return for Jujar Kara as well. Um, a guy that I have a lot of respect for. And, uh, you know, he hasn't been, wasn't always great with the Oilers, but uh, I was sad to see him leave nonetheless. Um, so, yeah, the Oilers are going to defeat the Winnipeg Jets. No problem. Both games. They're going to improve to, what will it be, 13-3. and three. And then they'll go into they'll welcome Chicago here and just throttle them. It's going to be like seven one. We're going to put up a seven spot against those guys. So we're going to end up on uh, fourteen and three at the end of the week, and we're going to start running away with the division. That's that's my and that's then my you pick. Can try your new experiment. Yeah, and we'll try our new experiment. That's what they're going to do. That's a bold prediction. Dave Tippett grows an imagination and tries that on on Saturday. All right, so I think that's going to be for the show. predictions, or do we each have a bit? Never mind. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anymore. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>